from AM and FM stations around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It is Wednesday, the 27th of September. I know you're having a great day because you decided to do so. So maybe you want to build a financial planning business. Our first guest will tell you how to do that. Maybe you want to build a addiction recovery or coaching business in the recovery space. Our second guest is going to teach you how to do that. Two fantastic businesses today that we deep dive into and then show you how to get a business like that up and running. Let's get started right now. Very excited to introduce my first guest today. His name is Elliot Callen. He is the founder of Prosperity Financial Group and a couple of other businesses. Prosperity Financial Group is an advisory firm in the investment space. They have over $300 million under management. They help individuals and businesses, retirees, all of them achieve the financial independence that they hope for. Elliot has had 40 years of experience and in this space. And as I said, he has founded some other companies as well, including a nonprofit called a brighter day. Elliot, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great, Jim. And thanks for having me on. It is our pleasure. Tell us about prosperity financial group. Great, thank you. We this is a company that we started 30 years ago, give or take, um, with one goal in mind, and that is to help people retire and reach their finance and reach their goals. Because most people don't really have goals in life; um, they just kind of get through life and retirement to get through life. You know, there's a reason why the average retiree watches TV for four hours a day, and that's because they really have nothing planned. And we wanted to make a difference and change that, create some life goals create some financial goals, and not just give a good quality return, but actually get meaning to the good quality return. And that's what we've been doing from the very beginning. Well, what's wrong with watching TV four hours a day? There, there's a stack of video games that I can't wait to play, Elliot, in my retirement. And I'm going to play video well, games all day long with no qualms about it. Waste my hour away. <laughs> well, well, Netflix and Amazon Prime love you already. Well, no, because I don't do it now because I can't afford the time now. That's why I'm looking forward to retiring in <laughs> 10 or 15 years so I can play Roller Coaster Tycoon version 9. You know, you, you know, Jim, I've got a really good friend of mine in Florida who uh, has had some amazingly high and super involved corporate gigs in his lifetime at the highest level of the Fortune 10 companies. And they, he now, now that he's retired with his wife, they binge watch all the time. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're politically left or right. I know people call me up and they're angry at me, depending on the station they're watching. They're angry from the left. They're angry from the right. The news from CNN and Fox are so negative on both of those or MSNBC. And then you want to give it a, a turn to the 
for local news and it's just murder after car accident after floods and you, oh my goodness i don't know how you can get through your day without cutting your wrist after watching that's why i'm going to play video games elliot how have you built the business tell us about the birth of the business going out on your own customer number one take us back 30 years and give us a little history lesson Absolutely. And I came out of a totally different uh, industry, environmental cleanup industry. And before that, industrial packaging. These were uh, two other companies that I had started and then sold. And I really love the entrepreneurial spirit of starting and building and getting your nose bloodied along the way and, and then creating some value. Um, and I knew back uh, in 92, before I came out to California in 93, that I wanted to go into the financial services business and do something that I felt wasn't really being handled as effectively as I thought it could be. Uh, and that's what I wanted to do. So I met with a number of companies in New Jersey, Atlanta, and Florida. I was living on the East Coast. And I, I found things I liked, but I didn't love. And then my wife got pregnant with twins, and she's a Californian, and she said, let's move to California. And sometimes you do, Jim, what you have to do. And we packed it all up and did a Beverly Hillbillies thing and sold our house and, and moved to California. And there was a little ad in the San Francisco Chronicle from Lincoln Life uh, to become a financial advisor. And I met with them and my one hour interview turned into an eight hour interview. And they said, go ahead and run the, uh, the industrial commercial business division because that's your background. And that's what I started to build. And, and then at the end of 99, we parted ways and I took my team with us at a very amicable split which doesn't happen much in our industry. Usually you just walk out the door that day, but they were really great with us. We were really great with them. I have only good things to say about them. And we went completely in our own business, which we had already started when we're at Lincoln Prosperity Financial Group. And we built that um, the hardest way you can, which is one client at a time. I don't wish this business on anybody young. It's too hard the way we did it. Um, literally if somebody ran an, an ad for their services in the newspaper, such as a deli, a lawyer, a physician's office, I would call them up and I'd say, I'm brand new to California. May I network with you? And I'd get a hundred no's every day, but I'd get one or two or three yeses. And that kept me going. And so I learned to drink a pot of coffee a day, meet with people, a sandwich, an egg for breakfast with people. And I started to make friends and make friends and had another kid along the way and so forth. And suddenly we had a whole business going and recruited some people to come work in our business group. And that's who we have today. Today we're almost $400 million with one company, then almost $400 million with a second national company and then a charity. And it's just been an amazingly positive ride. Very impressive. Very cool. And that's amazing that you were able to, you know, overcome all of those no's 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 how did you do that how do you hear 99 no's and get up the next day um the one thing i will say about this whole numbers game is you only have to find one girl to say yes to marry you but you need to find a continual stream of customers you know hundreds and hundreds how do you battle past all those no's yeah, and that's why I don't wish this business on anybody young because it's too hard when you're starting from scratch. If you're buying a book, that makes that's a little bit different. But starting from scratch, you know, I had two little twins at home. I had my wife uh, at, at home dealing with them. Um, I was a sole breadwinner, so I didn't accept failure as an outcome. 
So I knew every day I was going to go in and just focus on who I could meet with, not focus on who was saying no to me. And it's very hard to get that rejection. Now, nobody likes it. It doesn't feel good at all, uh, but it worked. I was talking to people and talking to people, and then I started to ask for some referrals. And there were some people that were just wonderful with that and some people that were total jerks with me. Um, and that, and every now and then I run into them and remind them, you know, when I came to California, I knew no one, you, you did nothing to help me. I haven't forgotten that. But for the most part, people were usually very nice. I come across as a very amiable, nice person. Uh, I'm a driver. There's no doubt about it. You can't be starting from scratch and build this kind of business unless you're a driver. Um, and it means sometimes you're going to go backwards and that's okay. Uh, but what I did is I, I would kind of where I could fit in, I would try to do some exercise and some fiction reading to try to clear my head. And occasionally that would work. Um, but it was hard with two kids. And then another one smack right after that, 16 months uh, later, I had a third child. It was very, very hard. Uh, but again, focused on the positive, focused on tenacity, focused on fortitude, and focused on being a deal maker and a rainmaker. And that's what I was trying to do every day. Did you ever develop or learn any sort of ratio if you made, you know, you weren't obviously getting one out of a hundred, you were probably getting one out of 15 or something like that, to be more honest, I suspect. Something like that. Did you ever develop the ratio, how many calls a day you had to back out to have so many meetings a day to close? I mean, say you, I, you got to close 10 a month. That means you have to talk to 30 a month, which means, I mean, did, and you go backwards. That means you need to make 300 telephone calls a month. Have you ever used that method? I did. Um, it's not really as effective because you can make 10 calls and meet with six people and you can make 50 calls and meet with no one. So, but, so, you know, the numbers can lie here, but there's gotta be here's an what average, I tracked though. Eventually over time you had to figure here's out. What I Jim, here's what I tracked for my first year. For every 100 calls, I got four appointments. That's 4%. That's not 10%. That's 4% yep. of people that would actually meet with me, not stand me, not just say, send me a fax or send me an email, but would actually meet with me. And of those four, I would, I, one of those four would become a client. So one out of four. So I knew I had to make enough calls to get four appointments to make one of them a client. Sometimes that was five calls. Sometimes that was 25 calls, but I knew it was the four became one. And that was what I focused it on that number uh, today. I think my average is if, if you sit down with me, I think I've got a better than 50% chance of you becoming my client because I've got the experience that comes across that I didn't have in my thirties and forties that I have today. But the numbers, the weaker you are, the more inexperienced you are, and the more you sound like a youngster, so to speak, the worse those numbers are going to be. And that's why you've got to get the numbers on your side. What was the pitch? How did you present yourself as being different than one of the big guys with the ads? And remember the ad with the bull and everything? Oh, all of that stuff. And as a matter of fact, uh, it was the time when I joined in 93. It was the time when all the law, there were billboards with lawyers on them saying, has your broker lost you money? Contact <laughs> us. And we'll get it back. Oh, how nice of them. Lawyers are always looking out for society. They're such helpful people. <laughs> they are. They are. I, have I have two in my family, so I have to say nice things. Uh, 
But here, here's what I would say, and I would be very honest. And, and if you got to meet me in person, you'd look in my eyes and you'd say, I like this guy. He's just going to tell me exactly how it is. It helps to come be a New Yorker and shoot very straight because then you, you don't make people feel like they're being conned. And that's a big part of it. So sincerity is a big part of it. Um, and who I am, thanks to mom and dad on that. But basically, this is what I said, Jim. I would say, listen, I'm new to California. I'm with Lincoln Financial Services. We're marketing life insurance and investment. I'd love to talk to you about what we do. Can I get 10, 15 minutes and a cup of coffee? And from there, when I was sat down with them, I would get to know them. My first questions were never, tell me about how much life insurance or how many, what you're doing with your investments. It's, who are you? What do you do? And so I learned very early on in my career, you've got to like people enough for them to like you. They don't like you at first. They don't know you. They don't trust you. So trust is that big word in our industry. And anybody in my industry that comes in here, I say, listen, the key word for you is develop trust. Because if you make them money, but they don't trust you, they will still fire you. But if they lose money in a bad market and they trust you, then they will trust you to help turn it around. So trust is everything. And that's something, unfortunately, I've got a little bit of here. It comes through. And I would say, if you, if you trust me to manage your money and your life effectively, then I will never let you down. And if I let you down even once, then you should fire me. And that's what I did over and over. Did you have better clothes if you went to them versus meeting at a coffee shop or anything like that? Did you? Learn I did any- both. I did. Jim, I did both. I met in people's offices, CFOs, CEOs. I met in coffee shops. It was usually better in a coffee shop because it means they took some effort. And Ooh, that was really good. That's an interesting point. Yeah. I've learned yeah. that in only their office, sc- scummy people, scummy salespeople only want to visit you at your house. For example, you are replacement window people. They, it's like going to Vegas to buy a replacement window. They ask the exact same questions. Is your spouse going to be there? Why, why is it? Why does my spouse matter? I can buy windows by myself. They won't come unless you say your spouse is going to be there. You know, it's just like Vegas yeah. when they give you the free show tickets to go see the timeshare. Uh, they won't I'll send tell you, you where the timeshare by yourself. <laughs> Jim, I'll tell you where it worked for me. I don't, I happen to hundred percent agree with you. I don't like meeting people's homes. I'm not a kitchen table salesman. It strikes me as slimy also. But when you're sitting with older people and particularly older widows, they need to feel very safe. And if they let me in and made me a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and drank it with me, then we were breaking bread in a way. And we would just talk about their family and their kids. And we may spend an hour talking about their kids and all the issues that she has with her children or grandchildren, but we were friends. And that's what, that made a big difference. And then how do you hire for that, Elliot? How do you make sure that the people you bring in after you're three or four years old and ready to expand, have that same ability, that same knack that you do? So look for good people. You know, if you've played sports in your life and you understand sports and you understand that you're building a team around you. And so you have to make a decision. If if the football season begins soon. So if I go to the football analogy and I look at myself as the quarterback, I'm the financial quarterback. Then do I want to draft another quarterback or do I want a wide receiver that does a great job? So 
you're looking for talent. You're not necessarily looking for you. There's only one you. There's only one Jim Beach. There's one Elliot Callen. There's one of you. But there are a lot of really good players out there that can play other parts. And they will do it in their best way. Because if they think they're as good as you on any given day, then they're going to make you irrelevant and they're going to become your competitor at some point. You want them to feel great at what they do, which is a compliment to what you do. And that's what I've always looked for. It doesn't always work like that. But if you look at, you know, the rainmaker is the financial quarterback or the quarterback of the team. Don't draft another quarterback. Don't replace yourself unless that's your goal. Draft players that can fill great positions for you and excel with their own talent. Elliot, have you ever heard of uh, borrowing against whole life insurance and quote unquote becoming your own bank? Of course, I'm very familiar with that. It's, it actually can be very effective under certain conditions. It's not a cure-all or end-all. It has a good place. Explain it, please. Okay, so there are two types of life insurance, Jim. Really two types. Let's talk about Whole it. And term, term insurance. Or permanent and term would be the better one. Okay. Permanent and term insurance. So term insurance, as it says, I'm buying it for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Maybe I want to cover the fact that if I die, the mortgage is paid. If I die, my kids have enough money to go to college. Things like that. It has a specific purpose. Permanent insurance, which can, which can be broken down into whole life and can be broken down into universal life or indexed life or indexed whole life. There are a bunch of variations on the theme. Is much more of a permanent policy and way more expensive because it is gathering steam internally from the investments. If it's in whole life, it's gathering um, dividends and 4% money back from the company like Northwest Mutual. Index life, it's perhaps invested in the S&P 500 and gathering steam that way, or even variable universal life, which can be in mutual funds, which is a little bit more expensive even there. It's gathering steam. And they have figured out that if you have pay this money in for a certain amount of time, seven years, 15 years, your life, age 65, whatever it is, that you will never run out of money for the rest of your life, and that policy will stay in place. So I buy a million dollars of whole life or universal life, and I have to pay it for 15 years. At the end of 15 years, I may not have to put any more money in because it's a, called a paid-up policy. That's the good news that term life is not, and that's the good news. Now, the other way of using it is to keep stuffing Kind of like an overstuffed deli sandwich. You overstuff the corned beef inside this policy as much as you can. So instead of getting the most insurance for the least amount of money but never running out, you get the least insurance for the most amount of money, and you stuff it with cash. And at some point, it's overstuffed, and the insurance, there's a law in the insurance world that allows you to borrow from the policy as long as you keep a certain ratio, an exclusion ratio, ratio in place, you can borrow from it, maybe 80% of it, and you become your own bank. And if there's enough money in there, you may never have to pay it back. If there isn't, then you have to pay some of it back. But you banked yourself. Now, the nice part about borrowing, it is technically not a withdrawal. Therefore, it is a non-taxable event to for the IRS, to you, the, the client, the customer. So I've, it's filled with quarter of a million dollars of cash, I can borrow $200,000 out of it. The $50,000 is enough to keep it going 
for the rest of my life. So I don't have to pay it back. And the $200,000 that I'm taking out of it is tax free. I'm my own bank. Now I've already put in a lot of money and it's growing, but now I'm getting it back out tax free. So there are people, especially at the high net worth level that have learned to understand that and done a great job with that. And there are other people that think that's the dumbest idea on earth. And for it to work, you have to have a lot of money in there to really make this work, right? For it to be effective, How you much really is need that? to overstuff it. How much is that? I think you're going to need 250 350, 500, maybe at a hundred it works, but then you're only getting out 50 or 60,000. You really need to have it stuffed, you know, just stuffed with cash. Cause there um, are, people, I know people there are financial advisors, Elliot, that say you can start borrowing in the first year or so. And they're talking of, you know, $10,000. It just seems to me like they're turning it into a scam. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't think there's, you need time. Yeah. I think I think for the numbers to really work, to be effective, you know, and I'm not looking at people's age or health and so forth, but in general, I tell people you want to stuff this for seven to ten years with as much money as you can and then start withdrawing. I think it is not the numbers work against you if you do it before then. It's a very broad statement I made, but I really believe that's to be true. Yes. We had some guests talk about it and I wanted to get another opinion. So congratulations on your book too. I think you've written a couple, uh, that I saw on that Amazon place. Uh, tell us about your most recent book on entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I wanted to, I sat down with another gentleman who co-wrote it with me, Adam Torres, and the two of us realized that we had in common, uh, a little bit of a background and we're both entrepreneurs. This is very different. And his calling is different than mine. I'm, I don't really call mine a calling. Um, but I felt that I've been wanting to write a book that some entrepreneurs think of people like Mark Zuckerberg and that have a straight line to success. They just never get a bloody nose. They never go backwards. And mine has been anything but that. It's gone backwards, forwards, upside down, inside out, with a bloody nose and sometimes a bloody lip and so forth. And I wanted to put that down in writing to tell people and give tacit approval that if you've got the fortitude and the tenacity to see your vision through, that there could be a light at the end of the tunnel because there was a light there for me. And that's what I wrote. It's called Driven, D-R-I-V-E-N, by Elliot Callen. It's an Amazon bestselling book right now. You can get it right on Amazon, Amazon Prime, Amazon.com, whatever. Driven. There are lots of Drivens out there. So it's Driven by Elliot Callen. Um, it's an easy 28,000-word book. It's not difficult. Um, it'd probably take you about four hours, five hours to read it or less, depending on how fast you are, but you're going to get so many great nuggets of stories that I've told that were motivational stories for me and helped shape me in my life. Tell us one, tell us a story. Oh my goodness. You know what? It helps. So I have parents that were older parents. Uh, my dad was born in 1915, my mother in 1918, much older parents because there was a world war two in there. Um, and my dad became a depression child, which gave me all types of lessons about hard work and tenacity and creativity and, and not saying no. My mother was an Auschwitz survivor, concentration mm. camp survivor in World War II. And I don't know people that survived that unless they had enough courage 
or maybe it was ignorance, but enough courage to just wake up and get through the next day. And because it was all around and people were dying, especially in Auschwitz or some of the other camps. And they imparted that on me to never give up. And my mother always said to me, if I got a 90 on a test, she would ask me that. She would say, that's great. Anybody get a 95? I'd say, of course. Then so can you. If I got a 95, she'd say, anybody get a 100? And she kept saying, you can do better. You can do better. And you can do better. And that is a little voice in my mind from my mother saying, you can do better today than you did yesterday. And the voice from my father is saying, never stop. Don't stop. Keep going. It's okay. It gets better tomorrow. It's okay to fail today, but don't stop. Kind of like keep swinging the bat because you're going to start hitting the ball eventually. Some of those are going to be outs, grounders, flyouts. Some of those are going to start reaching the wall in the back of the stadium. That's what they imparted upon me. And I love that about them. And they died many years ago. My dad's dead 35 years and my mother 25 years. But I've never forgotten those, some of those nuggets like that. My parents were both very old when I was born as well. I had an older brother and he got very sick with spinal meningitis that slowed them down a decade or so for me. And, uh, my father, and well, they both grew up in the depression. Uh, my mother remembers when they got electricity at her house. Um, <laughs> That's great. so, uh, you know, she grew up actually with the kerosene lamps and an outhouse. My mother did. And they both passed in the last two years. And Elliot, my God, does that hurt? Oh, even after 25 years for you, it still must hurt. Uh, it's just. Well, Jim, you know, it's, it's amazing. I, I have to say, and I'm, I don't want to minimize your pain in the least because anybody who's lost anybody they care about is in pain. Um, I have a, uh, and the charity, which we started, which is a brighter day. And it unites stress and depression resources with teens and their families. Um, my 19-year-old son, eight years ago, took his life. Uh, he was a sophomore at the University of Montana. And he wrote a suicide note to us saying, Mom and Dad, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I never would have told you how I felt. And I never would have asked for your help. I never would have taken your help. And that, even though we've done amazing things with this charity, amazing things, that is a whole that every day is felt by me and sure, I'm sure by his mom because that boy is my screensaver. His 8x10 is next to my television in the family room. I'd have to talk about this when I talk about my charity and amazing things we do. That's a whole. And, you know, my parents being gone, you know, is sad. My son being gone is a whole that you just you have to every day move on from. But it doesn't go away. No, I'm very sorry to hear that. That's so sad. Thank you. Hmm. Yeah, it's horrible. I don't know how you have the strength to turn that into a charity. I would turn it into a crying on the bed. Oh, there's plenty of that to go around. I don't want to tell you there isn't. But so when we were flying home from Montana with his body under the Southwest Airline plane, um, I turned to his mother and I said, listen, we've got to do something. It's just who we are. We have to do something to stop this destruction and devastation, which we're just starting to go through. We've got to stop it from happening to other families. Help me do something about it. And she said, I can't. I just, I, I can't do it. And I said, I have to. And she said, well, go ahead. So there was a, a compellingness inside of me because we've always been charitably inclined from the time I was young 
to do something to make a difference. And every day we touch thousands of families, or every month I should say, we touch thousands of families with our resources, our teen uh, crisis text line, our live Zoom counseling, and so forth to make a difference. And that good side of making a difference is what keeps me going with the charity. Wow. Elliot, an amazing story. And thank you so much for being with us today. We've covered a lot of stuff today. I sure do appreciate it. And I appreciate your openness. Thank you for sharing. Jim, thank you so much. Love being here. How do we find out more follow online? Great. It's let me tell you both the charity and the company. The company is prosperityfinancialgroup.com. It's and my cell is 510-206-1103. And the charity is a brighter day dot info. And we'd love people to just go to us, send us messages, download resources, look at our websites, both of them. They just have so much free material on them because we're trying to make a difference. And we hope that your listeners look us up and that we can make a difference in their lives. Godspeed to you, Elliot. It's an amazing story. You too, Jim. Thank you. And we will be right back. We are back in again. Thank you so very much for being with us. Wow, these people that give back are making such an impact and have such powerful stories. I'm really excited to share one of those with you. Please welcome Sonia Callen to the show. She was a very successful dentist with a multiple location practice, sold it, and decided to go into addiction recovery since then. She is a recovery coach and has dedicated her life to making a difference in the people who need it, perhaps alcoholics or other addictions, incarcerated, formerly incarcerated. Also, she's working with victims of sex trafficking. She does it in a unique, different way. It's not like what we've heard of. It's small group recovery meetings where she matches them based on what they are struggling with. I think that's how it's happening. The organization is called Ever Bloom. Sonia, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, Jim. Thanks for having me. So do I describe it correctly? Small group recovery. Is that it? Yes, you describe it correctly. Yeah. How big is a small group? Somewhere between eight and 12 people. Okay. And how does it work? Are they online in the same city? Walk us through what you're doing. Tell us more. Yeah. So I was myself looking for a group of people, a consistent group of people to kind of talk to. Um, I've been sober about five years and I just couldn't find what I was looking for. I tried AA, I tried other groups and, you know, the model for addiction up until now is just a drop in model, which is great. Right. So it's like, if you feel the urge one day, you can just get up and go to an AA meeting. Um, and so that exists, but what doesn't exist is sort of this consistency. And so it was especially with me, like I'm pretty introverted. And especially after I quit drinking, I was a lot more introverted and I didn't want to explain my story every time I like got into a group. And so the idea of having a consistent group of people every week that kind of know what's going on in your life. Um, and so, and, and I like to travel. And so virtual meetings, you know, work for me and, you know, it, pretty much anyone can make them work. And yeah, eight to 10 people is about 
where I feel like everyone can kind of get a word in and, you know, have an actual conversation. And is it accountability based or what are the founding principles? Yeah. I mean, it is, it is based on connection. It's just based on connecting with other people going through the same thing is such a powerful motivator. And I think that, you know, I noticed that for me in a few different areas, not just my drinking, but like I had pretty significant imposter syndrome, especially when, when I sold my business. Um, and so, you know, it would have been nice to have somebody to talk to. Um, I had a really hard time going through a divorce. And that's when I realized I was like, when somebody tells me they get it, it like would like this just sort of amazing feeling would like wash over me. Like just this relief when someone would say, no, I get it. Divorce is hard. And I was like, yes, thank you. And so, yeah, that's sort of, you know, that's sort of the feeling I wanted other people to have. Sony, do you know why divorces are so expensive? No, please tell me. I love a good divorce joke now. Because they're (laughs) worth every damn penny. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use that. Thank you. <laughs> <It> really was. <laughs> Obviously, I have been divorced. Uh, yeah. And remarried. So, um, anyway, but it was certainly worth every damn penny. Worth it. Yes. Okay. I think I will, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. So I'm sure I will feel that in the next, I don't know. I think we have another maybe eight to 12 months left. <laughs> well, have I you kissed that. a new boy yet? <laughs> Not really. Okay, see, that's when you, you know, that's, you got to go kiss a new boy. I know everyone keeps telling Yeah, I, I cannot even explain to you the amount of pressure there is on me to like, get on the apps, get on the apps, just get on the apps. And I just like, I don't want to get on the apps. I don't want to get on the apps. And so, yeah, there's a big like tug of war. In just my go mind. to a bar one night and find a guy and kiss in the bar. That's all, you know, I don't drink. Well, I'm that's not right. I forgot. That's stupid of me. <laughs> well, at least you'll have a topic of conversation to start off with. Oh like, I'm yeah, not here a- to, here, I mean, here's your line. I'm not here to drink because I'm in recovery, but I'm here to make a kiss. And so, buddy, <laughs> let's go to the bathroom right now. We're going to kiss. Maybe that is what I need to do, but it's like, you know, divorced sober vegetarian isn't like on people's list usually of like i'm definitely looking for that you know well i was divorced bankrupt and disabled oh wow and my wife my ex-wife i uh love what she her line was i think her line was something like you know i'm 30 Two kids under the age of three divorced. My tits are fake and my brother's gay. Do you want my number? Yeah. 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 That's how I, but I listen to that. Like I tell everyone, I'm like, you're way more dateable than me. I'm like, you're so much like date. Not only am I sober, but if you Google me, which I hear people do now when you meet them on the apps, it's just like, my life story right repeated over and over in like the darkest way well that's easy i mean that's i think that's great though that filters everyone out and it takes it sort of off the table you know it's true um you know it's it's part of the package you know and um yeah it takes like the guys who are like you want to do some coke in the bathroom like off the table i agree not that there's yeah. anything wrong with that. I mean, <laughs> come on now. We can't be judging. 
Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, especially at like a, a school or a church. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Sonia, yes. why, why this? Why sell the practice? Why do that? You can recover and still be the multi-location dentist. Yeah, I mean, I would say that they are like two separate things um, also in time. And so um, I, with my ex, built um, a big orthodontic practice with both orthodontists and sort of, um, you know, became this huge thing. Like it was like a runaway train at some point. Um, I don't, you know, we started during the recession. And so I don't think we expected the type of growth that we got, but we were kind of very low priced and also took every insurance. So we took also like Medicaid insurance. And so we just kept getting opportunities to open more offices and more offices. And the more offices we had, the more I was drinking. And so I think it was, you know, obviously related to like, I had no coping mechanisms for stress or anxiety. And so what about him? Um, he was smoking weed. Okay. Yeah. He was, yeah. None, neither of us had any, like we, we weren't working out. We weren't like, you know, super close to our families. And so, um, when we got the offer to sell, we weren't even, we didn't even know we had built, I didn't know we had built something that was, you know, sellable to like a private equity company. Um, how many locations? Seven. Okay. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. And so, and so doing it was, what? It was like, and doing what? 10, 12, 15 million? Not that much. Um, it okay, was doing over lower, five. Lower market, you said. So Yeah, okay. it was doing over over five um, okay. by the time we sold. And so, and that, even that, just saying it gives me like imposter syndrome. It's like, really? I had a business that was doing $5 million a year. And so, yeah, so they we got approached and I was, I don't know. It's just like a combination of factors. One, it was like a very good time, I think, to sell dental practices. I think that they were that's the sale was about to be regulated a lot more. Yeah, right? Aspen and all those people were buying up like crazy, weren't they? Right, right. And then I think also given like, okay, at some point the government's going to step in and be like, wait, you, you guys, you like hedge fund guys cannot own a medical practice, right? Like at some point it was going to happen where. You, the doctor or dentist or, you know, chiropractor that like someone would have to be on, you know, the professional company. And so this was, it just was a great time. I could feel it. Um, the offer was like so good that I, you know, and, and there was like a few standards. It was like, if we get this offer, like, do we have the freedom to do anything we want? And it was like, yes, like, this is the, this is that number. So and let's so leave each other. <laughs> yeah. So we sold it. And I think that I pretty quickly realized that I had like no hobbies, no passions. Uh, I was a raging alcoholic and it, this was it. Like this was my, I'm the luckiest person on earth. I basically like won the lottery and I need to get it together. And so I got sober and, you know, my family, there's a lot of alcoholics. So I knew, um, that I had a problem and I knew that there wasn't like moderation wasn't an option for me. And so getting sober just really changed everything. Like it changed how I looked at the world. Like it just changed everything. Um, and so I, yeah, I said, I wanted to like get involved with nonprofits. And as I noticed, I was kind of like 
attracted to nonprofits that sort of had some element of like second chances, right? For people, like some element of like, you know, you've done something or something has happened and you need to like rebound. And that's sort of how I felt. Like I felt like I had been given another chance um, at life. And so um, I, I think slowly I started talking about my addiction. I started writing about it. I started creating images and, you know, stupid me. I never asked my husband at the time what he thought about that. And <laughs> I think he didn't like it. Right. It's a little embarrassing for him. And so, you know, along with that, I had changed a lot. Like I was really close to my nieces. I was like baking cakes on a Saturday and not like at the club. And so um, yeah, he was just like, you know, I think you're happy with too little and, uh, I'm going to go. And so after 18 years, he literally woke up one day, left, and I never saw him again. Wow. Yeah. Like actually like, disappeared. Like he, none of our friends ever saw him again. Well, Sonia, you're not going to believe, guess who I have on the other line? <laughs> 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 no, if it would get, I don't even know who would be worse than that. Like, yeah, no, I never saw him. He, he essentially disappeared from like my, you know, my niece's lives, like um, all of our mutual friends. Um, they found his car abandoned in like Camden, New Jersey, and like came to my house. And so, I mean, allegedly he's alive, according to lawyers and accountants, he's alive. So that just makes him more of an ass. <laughs> Wow. Uh, my neighbor across the street yeah. was a friend of both of us, right? You know, he was there when we moved in and he was a New York city policeman for 20 years and then retired and moved down South. And so I met him in his second life and he was a marriage on his second marriage. And yeah, I also eventually hired him and he was uh, a good friend employee and he was working for me full time he came to me one day and he was like you know jim i've been watching the the two of you and i know the system and everything and if you kill her and we go and turn you in we'll do, we'll do seven and a half they're gonna call it 12 it's really gonna be like seven years do it man it's worth it do it do it it's really the best thing oh you should do do God. it do it I like went through this period where then I, you know, obviously found out that, you know, he's cheating on me with a friend of mine. And I thought that, and I live in the middle of the woods and I thought these two are going to kill me before I have time to change my will. Right. <laughs> so I was convinced because they, he also had access to the, the, the security cameras on the house and I couldn't get them switched. It took months for me to get them switched. And so I just like would wake up every morning just being like, I need to go to the lawyer and get this changed because this is like a golden opportunity for, he only has like, he has a window here to kill me and still get the money. All right. We got to get off of this Sonia. you and I Sorry. Are down a sad path. All right. So we understand why you did this. How did you get started and what was the first thing you did and how did you get, you know, a group, the first group together? And then how do you make money from this? How does this support you? A whole bu 19 questions go. Yeah. So, um, so he left, I thought, well, I should probably drink again. It had been five years since I'd been sober. And then, um, somehow didn't like, somehow I started going to meetings and thought, 
this is great. Like I feel kind of like comforted by these meetings. And then, you know, a point came after a few weeks where I was like, I need, I need to share, like I need to talk. And I was like, I'm not going to talk in front of 200 people at the meeting that I was going to. It had 200 people. It was 8am every morning. And so, um, I just started like tossing around this idea and talking to like my sister-in-laws. And I was like, do you think this exists? Like, where it's sort of like a curated group. And so essentially I would be in a group with other people either going through a divorce, been through a divorce, going through some sort of life transition um, that can kind of understand like the impact on my sobriety this is having. Like I am freaking out here. I'm barely holding on. And um, yeah, I talked to a bunch of people, my sister-in-law, and they said, no, we haven't heard of anything like that. And so um, I was in bad shape. And so I went to Costa Rica and I just started like mapping it out. And I was like, okay, what? possible groups could I have? And I was like, you know, I could have like an empty nesters group. I could have like a parenting group. I could have a parenting under 10 years old group. I could have, a power, you know, and so I was like, this is sort of endless. The, you know, number of people that you could sort of put together that would have something in common. And so I, um, you know, we'd sold the business and I was angel investing. And so the only thing I knew how to do was like make a, a deck. And so I thought, I just I'll make a deck. And so I just worked on it like one slide a week for months. And because I was just still going through the divorce. I was really not good. And so I got the deck done and I was like, well, what do I do with the deck? Now I have the deck. What do I do? And so I thought, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do the one thing that my ex would be the most angry with, and I'm gonna join a business accelerator. And so I knew that would drive him nuts. Um, but I also thought it was a really good idea for me to have that support. So I, yeah, joined the business accelerator, went through basically a curriculum, had mentors, advisors, I had resources. Um, and just started working through it. And very important part of the accelerator process was customer interviews. And you do customer interviews for as long as it takes, right? Like as like minimum 50 up to a hundred, you do interviews of potential customers. And so that was, um, yeah, that's when I realized, I think I had something was when I started, um, interviewing people. I like the process so far, so far you've done a great job. Then what? <laughs> So interviewed people and then thought, okay, I'm going to set up, you know, a website. And so set up the website, really simple, super simple. So very low investment. Right. And so that was also the theory behind the accelerator was like, look, you, you're, we're going to act as if, which is actually an AA thing. We're going to act as if it exists, but it doesn't. Right. And so we're going to have a website. We're going to, you know, have, get signups. And so, yeah, slowly put out like, you know, put a couple hundred dollars into Google ads and, started taking signups. And so not like on the pretense that this exists and like, you'll be in a group tomorrow, but like, you know, sign up, eventually we're going to have a group. And so the signups were crazy. And I was getting so many signups, so many signups. How are people finding out about it? So I think it was a combination. You don't have that many friends. No, I don't. It was a combination of like Google ads, social media posts, um, I had been on a couple of podcasts. I don't, I don't even know if that was it, but yeah, just some very like light marketing and people are looking for alternatives to AA. And so if you are hitting, like, if you want to come up as number one for alternatives to AA, um, you know, that's what people are looking for. And so yeah, that's and a so really interesting I, model that alternate to what's the old people organization called? Um, 
Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. See, you know, triple, not uh, not triple. Uh, No, can't believe I don't remember what it is. But you know, they're very political, and a lot of people don't want to join that organization, but still want a senior organization or just you know the uh, I love French wine organization. There's always the alternative or the opportunity to set up another French wine organization for the people that don't like yeah. that one, you know, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think like for me, it was really important. Like, although like at the accelerator, we were really data driven. I also wanted to see like what the human aspect. So when you signed up, you have to fill out a really lengthy questionnaire and like about your drinking. And then, you know, do you want to tell me anything? And people would write paragraphs and i was like now i know we have something right when they started signing up and writing paragraphs like this is what i think it's you know hurting in my life i've tried nine times to quit i just tried a few weeks ago my husband says if i don't quit he's gonna leave me like people were writing things like so vulnerable so you know open and i thought wow and you know combination of that and the data that was saying that this was going to work. I thought we have to do it. All right. So it started falling together very quickly and easily. It sounds. I mean, I would say then I really started to act as if. So I thought I'll do, um, I'm just going to pick a day. Cause I was just, you know, kind of sitting there being like, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm like, I'm going to pick a day and I'm going to say, you can sign up for a free meeting. And Let's see how that goes. And so I did. And so I just picked a day, told people to sign up for a free meeting, acted like it was a meeting that, you know, that I was super, like had been running for a long time. And the meeting was amazing. People were like, there were so many points where I just could like sit back and just listen to people talk to each other and give each other advice. And I was like, this is exactly what I wanted. And every time I would have a meeting like that, I would get people signing up for um like a monthly membership and so yeah just kept going on like that and just kind of kept acting like this is a group this is a group and then would build out another group and then so how many groups are there now so now there's uh under 10 and so and the summer's a little rough um and so but the way i kind of make the groups is like so the first group by the time it was sort of done right by the time we had maxed it out had like out of like 12 people had seven healthcare providers. Like, cause I know them so well, right? Like I know them, I know what they do. Like, they, you know, and so I thought we could have a healthcare providers group. I wish I had had a healthcare providers group. Um, and so that's sort of where each new group comes out of is, is me running the groups and then figuring out like what the next group should be. All right. And how is it doing financially? Is it supporting you? No, no, for sure not. I mean, we're still in um, like a growth phase. And I think that I'm still like, I know who my customer is and I'm still trying to figure out how to get to them. Um, I think these are like, it's a very specific demographic of women of, you know, in middle age um, who started drinking wine to like cope, um, with stress of like parenting or work and this habit got out of control and they don't see themselves 
you know, as alcoholics, they don't even want to use the word and they're not even sure they want to quit. So yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely targeting. My targeting has gotten a lot more um, niche. And so, yeah, I mean, I expect it to be breaking even soon. <laughs> well, fantastic. Congratulations. Thanks. Pretty impressive story, Sonia, and congratulations on the rebound. Thank you. It seems like it's going well. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's going great. Well, I I'm on your LinkedIn and if I were single, I'd ask you out cause you're a good looking. <laughs> so I would give you your kiss, but I, uh, you know, I am trying not to get divorced actively right now. So, uh, uh, I, I'm going to fight with that. I'm going to stick on that. How do okay, we find out more get signed up for a group? Yeah, so you can go to joineverbloom.com um, and then on every social, we're either join Everbloom or Everbloom and you can sign up, fill out the um, survey and we can match you to a group or if you're just not sure, you can book like a 10-minute talk with me um, pretty much any day of the week if you just want to get more information and make sure it's the right fit. I think you should hire a PI and find out where your ex is and come up with some really obnoxious way to show up out of the blue when he, you know, and, and like show up with like Sean Penn or something like that, you know, just to play with his head, you know, I don't think Sean Penn wouldn't do anything. He's like twice my age. Well, you know, he's famous, you know, true. You're dating I'm thinking a more like I'm thinking like uh, I'm Canadian. So I'm thinking like Drake. If uh, I could show up with Drake, that would be great. Yes. A little young, but I, yeah, I think it would still be. Yeah. That okay, would yeah go, go with a 25 year old. Take a 25 year old. Sonia, <laughs> congratulations. And I am sure uh, your life is going to be a fun one in the next 10 years. Thank you so much, Jeff. And we're out of time for today, but you know what we do. We come back tomorrow. Be safe, everyone. Take care and go make a million dollars the way you want to do it. Take care. Bye now. Yeah.